Hi everybody, this is uh, your substitute teacher for the day, Sean Ford. I'm here to talk to Malachi Ward. Malachi has been making beautiful, intricate science fiction and fantasy comics for the last, I think, six years or more that I've been aware of, or perhaps longer. Um, the stories are usually richly illustrated, fantastic landscapes that address weird existential questions and carry a, a dark edge that I really appreciate and I associate with some of the best science fiction writing, both in prose and comics. I'm really excited to talk to him today about his new work, and I hope you'll check it out. Um, I first talked to Malachi around 2012, I think, around the time that Ritual Number 1 came out. Uh, we documented that chat as an interview zine for Chuck Forsman's Oily Comics and the mini-comic subscription series that he was doing. Uh, since then, Malachi has finished his expansion series with frequent collaborator Matt Sheehan, put out three issues in the Ritual series, and done a bunch of backup stories with Sheehan for Brandon Graham's Profit relaunch over at Image. He's also started serializing a, a story in Brandon Graham and Emma Rios' Island Anthology called Ancestor, again with Matt Sheehan. And finally, uh, recently released a collected book of some of his short fiction called From Now On from Alternative Comics. And I think there may have been like a gallery painting show or two in there. Um, hi, Malachi. Uh, you've been pretty busy. How are you doing? Hey, Sean. <laughs> uh, gallery shows it uh, at comic book shops. Yeah, <laughs> that's not quite gallery art. That still counts, and it's more than I've, I've done. <laughs> but yeah, you you put out a lot of work in the in the past. Uh, I guess I guess it's been like four years since we've talked, and uh, it's been it's been exciting. Oh, man. I know. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to crank stuff out. <clears throat> Yeah, no, it's it's been it's been cool to see the progress. Um, uh, but I want to backtrack a little bit and ask you about your background. So I I think when we first talked, you said you you went to undergraduate schools like a, at a fine art school. Uh, where was that? I went to uh, Azusa Pacific University, which was a liberal arts school, and I I majored in painting. Um. And the, the paintings were pretty narrative, but it wasn't until after college that I started to kind of lean more into comics. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, I've seen some of your paintings, and they're amazing. And they're, they're sort of, I feel like they're sort of almost like a, a key into some of the themes you're interested in, in terms of like landscape and design that you worked into your comics. Um, so what what led you into comics? What made you think that comics were maybe a better outlet for some of those, the narrative um, issues you wanted to tackle in your work? Um, <clears throat> I think I, the, the stories became more elaborate, basically, that I was trying to tell through uh, shows in a gallery um, to the point where the paintings were sort of becoming panel-like. Um, where there would be lots and lots of little paintings that would be arranged on the wall um, and that and would all be kind of connected by different characters. Um, and as, yeah, as the stories became more elaborate, it kind of made more sense to try and figure comics out a little bit. Right, so to start thinking of them in, in sequence or something. Yeah. Cool. Uh, was there, like... <clears throat> Had you had you been a comics reader up to that point? Were you like an avid comics reader, or did, was it something that you found later in life that that you just were like, "Oh, okay, this is the this is the thing. This is what I've been thinking about." Um, yeah, I kind of I kind of dabbled um, with reading comics, and then yeah, in college, I um, started reading. I think. Went, just kind of went to a comic book shop with a friend and um, got the that McSweeney's volume that Chris Ware edited, I think. Oh, yeah. 13, I think. Yeah, number 13. Yeah, that was a big one. Yeah. Um, and that, and saw that, and, you know, that was like the, the thing that a lot of people have when they realize kind of how broad the medium of comics can be and, you know, how extensive. Uh, the kinds of stories can be that you can tell. Um, so uh, 
like the last year or so of college, I started reading a lot of comics. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's like a landmark work. I, I think I still have my copy. I, I pinned up the, uh, the poster cover for a couple of years. So my, my cover has all these little like um, thumbtack holes in all the corners, but oh, yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's not meant in. That's right, and th that had the little like the little zines that were kind of stuck into yeah. the fold of it, right. right? Yeah, I think there was um was there was there a Ron Rigi one? Um, yeah, I forget the other ones, but yeah, there was like a Chris Ware comic on the cover. Um, yeah, that that collection is amazing. Um, and, I mean, yeah, props to McSweeney's for paying so much money to print that, probably. Uh, <laughs> Right. So, so that, that was really the first comic that you saw and you were like, okay, this is a valid medium that I'm going to like try and investigate. Um, or, or it, it makes sense for my work and my ideas of like s sequential panels or narratives that I want to tell. This makes sense. Right. I, and I, I always liked comics, but that was definitely the first time where it seemed like, um, the kinds of stories that I wanted to tell could there was an avenue for that with comics and yeah just it just didn't even occur to me before before then cool yeah yeah i mean so your your collection um is called from now on from alternative comics that just came out and i was i was really impressed a that there was a substantial collection of work that i thought actually that that collection was going to be all the ritual stuff like, uh, I think you have, have three issues of that, that, um, I guess that, that was Dave Nuss's, um, that was his imprint that published. Yeah. For Revival House. Revival yeah. House. Right. And that they've sort of been folded into alternative as I understand it. So, yeah. Dave's working, uh, at alternative. I think he'll, he'll, he's still oh, yeah, publishing stuff as, as Revival House though. Okay, yeah. He's going to be yeah. mad at me now. <laughs> Revival House still lives on. So yeah, so I thought from now on was actually going to be your Revival House um, series ritual, but I was really impressed that it's like probably like 120 or 150 pages of of work that's completely separate from that. It's I've seen some of it um, as short stories, like uh, Scout and and I think um, was it Top Five, but uh, I, I was really impressed that you just have all this other work. <laughs> um, I was a little surprised too that there was that much stuff kind of floating around that had yeah either been like a self-published zine that I had done or was in an anthology somewhere. Um, but yeah, all the ritual stuff. There'll be another issue of Ritual hopefully later this year, and then I think next year we'll have a collection of just the ritual stuff. Oh really? Oh cool. Yeah, yeah. That's exciting too. Um, that's awesome. Well, so. So my first question from now on is, um, the title of the collection like immediately made me think of that the Built to Spill album, uh, per Perfect from Now On. So, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> and, and I feel like I feel like um, that song. I think it's the first song on the album. Uh, like Randy described Eternity, it just it it felt like that's like a Malachi Ward song. <laughs> like, do, do you know? I hadn't even thought about that. That is definitely a happy mistake. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. it, it just it. Thinking about that made me wonder um, how much how much music is a soundtrack or like a part of your process because I, I, a lot of your landscapes your your land your work is very um, like rich in in these beautiful uh, landscapes of faraway worlds a lot of the time um, and sometimes very familiar worlds but uh, it's you know always, always very evocative and it it make it always makes me sort of wonder what what the soundtrack might be in your head while you're, you're working on it. And I think you've all, you've also been in a band or you're currently in a band. Uh, yeah, I kind of mess around with music stuff. It's, it's pretty casual right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess I feel like, like music is always sort of like this secret, um, background to like the work that every cartoonist does. And I, I was just wondering, like, you know, if you had a soundtrack to this book, what would you, do you, like, do you have one in mind? Should I not be listening um, to Built to Spill? I actually, uh, not specifically for this one, just because um, it's collecting all, all sorts of work, but I, I, not only do I think of certain songs uh, when I'm making comics, but um, there's, like, a, I'll, I'll put them all together and make, like, kind of pseudo-soundtracks, like, 
for ancestor for the thing that I'm working on with Matt Sheehan, uh, oh, yeah. we, we like, we've been posting up those mixes that we, cause we had kind of shared music together when we were oh, really? in the, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I gotta um, find those. Yeah. We put those up on, I think it mix cloud. Okay, cool. Has our, has our stuff, but it, and a lot of the stuff that's in there is the same kind of stuff that I was, that I am usually listening to or that is usually inspiring to me. Um, a lot of like, uh, like, um, Mount Erie or like microphones that that kind of a thing is definitely something that I come back to a lot as inspiration for the comics, but I, all kinds of stuff, you know, they, I, some more like soundtracky type stuff, like Tangerine Dream and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, kind of a little bit of everything. Cool. Yeah, I mean, Tangerine Dream would have been more in the in the realm I was expecting. I'm I'm sort of. I mean, I I actually love the microphones and like Mount Erie stuff, but I, that's actually I'm a, I'm a little surprised though. I guess he's from like he's from that area. He's from like the Pacific Northwest, and I feel like that sort of he has that evocative thing about landscapes going on with his work. Um, that I guess that would make sense too. Right. So there's definitely a, a sense of not just time, but like the scale of time yeah. in his music. Like there's a lot about, the, you know, how small you can be in the world. <laughs> yeah. Which is definitely connects to a lot of my comics. Yeah. No, well that's, that's actually exactly where, sort of where I was going. Um, so a lot of your comics deal with, um, there's a, a peril and exploring new worlds, but a, a lot of time, um, and I want to get to that, but sort of building off what you said, there's a lot of peril in 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 this idea of time like this very ex existential idea of of exploring time like uh, um the expansion series you have a group of um a spaceship crew that sort of gets locked in this area where time is moving differently and um the the story in from now on disconnect there's there's this leap that happens um i don't want to give too much away but like a, a time travel miscalculation of some sort, uh, is implied. And yeah, there's a very, there's a very, um, interesting idea of, of not only the perils of exploring new worlds, but the, the perils of, of sort of, of how time can be affected by that, which I, I find very interesting because I always think of like, I, I think of like, you know, the 19th century explorers, like, like Shackleton or somebody, um, and and how they would go on these journeys for like three or four years, and mm -hmm. and that's crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Um, right. So I, I I can't help but think about stuff like that when I read your work. Like you're putting it in a very different environment and a very different time and setting, but it's sort of the same idea of like, you know, what what is it for? <laughs> like, yeah. Does that question? Well, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. With that, with disconnect and and the other stories that kind of take place with those characters, like top five and some of the other ones that are in the collection, a big part of the, the starting point for that for me was, uh, the idea that the, the conceit that these characters were going to go on this time travel scientific mission, but that they could, that it was one way, like that they were going to go back and then the, they were all just sort of dedicated to spending the rest of their lives in the very distant past without any real way to get back and that they expected that. Um, so that was, yeah, definitely a, an emotional hook to me for those stories. And I think it does speak to the larger interest I have in these kind of huge uh, distances of, of, uh, history that people will experience in the stories. Um, I, I think it's just sort of a, a kind of hard to articulate thing that just really gets to me. Like just the idea of real people existing, <laughs> like to really try and conceptualize what life was like a long time ago or what life will be like in the distant future. Yeah. Um, and this whole, you know, tree of human ancestry that is all tangled up and just goes back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I, oh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like a gut punch to me. So I, I'm, I always return to it. Yeah, no, it's, it's really fascinating. I mean, I don't want to, the word ancestry, I, I want to, I'm going to come back to, I don't want to leap too far ahead, but, um, have you, yeah, have you read, um, The Lost, Lost City of Z by, I think, David Gran? Do you know that? Um, no, no. I, I think you would be super into it. It's, um, it's this guy who, he wrote a New Yorker article and expanded it into a book. And it's about this explorer, uh, Perry Fawcett in like the early, early 1900s, so early 20th century. And he, he was convinced that he could find like the root of civilization in, in the Amazon. And he went there, um, with his son and his son's best friend who were like, his son was 19 and his son's best friend was also 19. And it was just the three of them. And they, the way they got it, they got it funded by, um, like this new, this world newspaper, I forget the name of it, but there was like this worldwide newspaper back in the early 20th century funded them. And they were supposed to like telegram updates and like, and, and update the progress of finding the root of civilization in the Amazon. And he was this famous explorer. He had been to the Amazon many times. So like everyone thought it was going to be great and he was going to find, you know, where civilization started. But like the, the telegram stopped after like three weeks <laughs> and, and he just disappeared and he was never found. Um, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a really amazing uh, book. And I, I always think about that when I read your stuff, it's just sort of this, this, this sort of existential quest where you're like, why are you doing this? Like you're, you're literally, you know, you're throwing your life away to, to answer this question of, of, you know, it's where do we come? And it's, it's where it's like this question of where do we come from or where do we go? Which is, a, I mean, maybe that's a question worth throwing your life away for. Um, so, I mean, I think it's it's a kind of riveting uh, starting point for a story, I guess. Yeah, well, first of all, that book sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah, really gonna it's a great summary, that, yeah. too. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I think part of the interest, too, for, in, for me and characters that are looking for those things is that they're, you know, in a way... Uh, unanswerable questions or the answer is going to be like very intricate and maybe unsatisfying or uh, unexceptional maybe. Um, So there's, there's something, yeah, sort of tragic about people uh, looking for answers in a, in a certain way, but then it's also, uh, exciting and you want to know those answers or you want to get a fuller kind of understanding of the origins of things or where things might be headed. Um, right. Yeah. So it's not, I mean like, it's not like it's tragic in the sense that when I, it's not incredible to learn new things about the distant past or, you know, trying to figure out things that were, are going to happen in the future. But it can be if, if people are going after it in the wrong way. Right. Like, I mean, I, there's almost like, I sort of wonder if there, is there this idea that like, these are questions that we shouldn't ask and that there's like almost this like sort of inherent punishment in asking them. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've seen someone, I think I saw someone say that about my work, which it wasn't me. I'm I'm fine with with them. It was you. <laughs> it wasn't. Um, <laughs> um, no, I'm curious though. I am curious. I don't I don't necessarily have a, a problem with someone coming to that conclusion at all, but um, it's definitely not the way that I think of it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, in some ways, that it's more that the characters that are featured in a lot of these stories and from now on are they're just overshooting. Like they're, (laughs) they're trying for something that they can't really get. Um, right. Yeah. Like in, in the first story in Utu, uh, you know, the, the guy that is traveling to the past is, is, um, he's trying to, He's trying to prevent. He's like, trying to the fix all these problems. Yeah. He's trying to fix history. And, right. Uh, yeah. That was your. So that was the first comic I read of yours, and it's a great. That, that's a great story, and I think it, it opens your new collection, or it's one of the first stories in there. Um, 
Yeah, he's, he goes back in... So it's this, this guy trying to go back in time to find, like, a vessel to prevent a sort of a genocide or a war that's going to come. Um, which I, I, I think is a riveting... It's a riveting story. It's really good. Thank you. And, and I think the... In his mind, he's he's his goals are even more ambitious than just trying to stop that war. Like, to him, he's trying to find the source of violence, like large-scale violence in history. And, and, I mean, he has, you know, an overly optimistic view of human nature. Because um, <laughs> he, he thinks if it just doesn't start, then maybe it won't ever start. But, um, so, I, maybe it's, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want people to walk away with, from the, reading the collection, thinking that, you know, you shouldn't try and, think about or ponder these bigger questions (laughs) but uh a lot of the characters definitely do suffer for their lack of humility yeah yeah i mean that i mean not to give too much away but um that same character in in utu the 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 scientist character he sort of the the end of the story is he winds up going to a bar and, and and tries to prevent tries to prevent what he perceive, perceives it as as a violent incident starting at the bar and, and gets sort of shot down and, and told to just, like, like essentially, like, get the hell out of the way, you know? Um, so I think you sort of, yeah, you're, you're sort of, like, I think there is a sort of, I don't know, undercutting their in, their intentions that you, that you uh, are aware of, I guess? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think also there's, I mean, it's definitely uh, the the broader kind of, like, futility of trying to change your circumstances, which is a, probably a, a little bit more pessimistic than maybe I would like it to be, but it's kind of, it's undeniably there in the book. Like, there's the story I did for Sundays that was, that's in the book. Uh, that's kind of the. Uh, it's not totally clear when they're living, but it got you know, Sumerian esque uh, king whose son is dying. Right. Yeah. Uh, and is, I mean, he's a much more sympathetic character than the character in Utu because he's he's just trying to find any sort of workaround for what is, you know, pretty inevitable. Um, so there is, there is definitely <laughs> a sense of utility in the book. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so does, does that, do you, do you think about the question then of like, like fate versus like, I don't know, self-determination? Is that? Uh, not really. I, that, yeah, I, that is that's not really a a question that troubles me too much in the way that it seems to trouble other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. My view is, I, you know, there, there's obviously a confluence of things that are totally out of your control um, that you kind of just have to roll with. <laughs> But uh, but I don't think that there's any kind of I don't think we're meant for anything specific or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I feel like if if your work addresses that question, it's it's from a very like zoomed out um, macro view instead of like the micro view. It's not like the fate of like should I get on this bus or not. It's more like the, <laughs> the fate of well, in in two thousand years, humanity is going to advance to this point no matter what. So. Or you know, like, and, and maybe not. Maybe that that's not unchangeable. But I think you have an interest in your stories in in characters who who are interested in trying to change that. Maybe like they're trying to change right. the course of not the bus ride, but of of like two millennia. Say. Right, right, right. Yeah, like I said, their ambitions are uh, a little too grand. Um, it's that it, it reminded me. There's a story that. Matt and I will get to one day where um, the idea is that someone's 
kind of understanding of time, their perception of time is flipped so that they can only, like instead of the way our brains work where, you know, we are kind of moving in this direction through time where we can kind of remember things that happened to us in the past. Yeah. It's kind of flipped through for them where they, the, their past is a total mystery to them, but they can quote unquote, remember what's going to happen. So like the further things are out in the distant future of their life, like they have a kind of a fuzzier, spottier recollection of it. Um, but the, that sounds awesome. the conceit is that they, they, it wouldn't really, they wouldn't do anything else. Like they wouldn't change anything because it's still all the decisions that they're making. And even if it seems like it doesn't make sense when they think about, when they remember something that happens in the distant future, like when they actually get there, it all lines up and they're all doing the things that, you know, they're making the choices that they want to make or have to make anyway. So I guess that maybe gives a, is, is a good representation of how I think about how all that kind of stuff maybe works. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think that, I mean, I think that's really interesting because I, 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 I've talked a lot about like time travel stories with people and I think, I feel like normally, normally the, the driving thing with a lot of, um, contemporary time travel stories is regret. Like a lot of times people will try and travel back in time to save their relationship for, from ending or save like a, a loved one from dying, um, and, um, and I, I don't necessarily get the feeling of, of regret from your time travel stories. It's more, it's more like an existential, um, like, it's more like a question. I, I, I really like it. It's more like a question of like, wh why are we doing this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, and while that I've made plenty of poor decisions in my life, the, like intense feelings of regret is kind of alien to me. Um, like the idea of some element of my past being changed and, and then changing me is pretty terrifying to me. Even yeah. if th there's potential for it to be better, just the, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, it's something about that is really scary to me. <laughs> it's a really weird and sort of strange idea. Um, did you, I mean, me I, maybe we might be going to dangerous waters here or whatever, but uh, did you read Patience by Dan, Dan Klaus, the new one? I did. I did. Yeah. Um, like, I, like I thought that that was a very, I didn't even know. I mean, I thought that was, I thought it was very good. Like I thought it was good, but it was a very, um, I, I, I couldn't help but, you know, reading your, all reading a lot of your work in the last few weeks um, versus Patience. I, it just, it almost seemed like two very different, views of time and history and like potential like it was very interesting to me because like patience is all about like going back and trying to prevent like this thing ha from happening um whereas your stuff is more like going forward to try and change something or going back to millennia to change you know the history of violence like you were talking about um i i so i couldn't help but sort of contrast the two so i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> no 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 that's okay i I mean, I think in some ways the patients kind of, without spoiling anything. No, we can spoil it. I'm just <laughs> I mean, it, it. I think it ends with the, I mean, there's, there's kind of bits at the end where he's, he has to reconcile the fact that he's, he sort of sacrificed himself, uh, and finally realizes at the end that he's, he should have been experiencing his life as it was instead of, you know, instead of, uh, right. at least that was kind of my takeaway from it. Yeah. Like he, his whole mission is yeah to kind of is regret based or, you know, to try and write this horrible wrong. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's more focused on the microcosm versus the, the sort of macrocosm that I feel like you're, time travel stories are are interested in maybe yeah and i think there might even be a, a more mundane reason for one of the reasons that i 
avoid this kinds of trying to change things as like the the goal of the story um, of a time travel story is just because it gets into just like tricky narrative stuff where I, I don't know. It, it just sets up a lot of expectations that you either have to give the reader what they want in just the right way. What I mean is like, if you're setting up like, okay, they're going back to change this thing and you kind of, you want them to change that thing. It sort of leaves you in a tight spot. I think where yeah, yeah. either they're going to do it or, and things will either be bad or good because they did it or they'll fail. I don't know. It just, it just limits what you can do with the story. So that, that's usually why I avoid it being the goal in a time travel story. Yeah. No, I, and I, I find that like a sort of interesting way to subvert the regular expectations of, you know, I think as a, a reader or a viewer, if it's a movie, you, the the viewer has that expectation where, you know, like you said, there's that, that setup, like, oh, there's this problem to solve and, and time travel is the way to solve it. Like I'm going right. to, I'm going to go back and kill baby Hitler <laughs> or, <laughs> right. or baby Donald Trump, whatever. <laughs> like, um, I apologize. Yeah. And, and I think you could do, yeah, Donald Trump, geez. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think you could do, I, I think you could frame it in a different way so that it would feel fresh. But uh, when, yeah, once you go down the road of like, okay, here are the heroes and they're going to do this thing. They're going to try and change this course of history. And that's kind of the point. Uh yeah, you're you're really left with four things you can do, like four ways that the right. story can end. Like, yeah, it's like um, a choose your own adventure. You get like three choices. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, if you approached it more where the people were going back, and it was very clear from the beginning that that's that them accomplishing this goal is not necessarily why you're invested in the story, then. And that's totally different, but yeah, a lot of times the time travel stories, it, it all kind of hinges on whether or not they can uh, they can change everything. Yeah. Well, so sort of segueing from that, my favorite Star Trek movie of all time is Star Trek Four, where they go back to San Francisco in the mid '80s to save the whales. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, I've, I've watched that movie probably like ten times, which is. Maybe more than I've watched any other Star Trek movie combined. <laughs> um, but so I, I know you are you're a, you're a very big fan of of Star Trek, and um, the the story in From Now On Top Five is a is a pretty amusing rundown of of like top Star Trek episodes. Um, I I wondered like so you said like you got late in life, later in life, like college into comics, but it seems like probably Star Trek was more an influence that was with you from an earlier age. And I was wondering how that sort of fit into the way you approach storytelling and like what you're trying to do with stories. Yeah. It probably has more of an influence or influences me in ways that I'm, you know, not particularly even aware of because I, I watched next generation about as far back as I can remember, I was born in 83 and I think next generation started in 87. Okay. And well. I, I, and I, you know, some iteration of star Trek, you know, ran all the way up to like, uh, sometime in the early two thousands, I think. Um, and I wasn't necessarily totally like plugged in and reading and, and watching all the way through that run. But, it's definitely like some of my earliest exposures just to storytelling in general is from, is from Star Trek. Uh, so yeah, the, the influence is probably pretty extensive for me. Um, and it's something I still love. I'm, I, I probably watch an episode 
pretty much every day at least. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I th- I think for me, like, I th- I think X Files is probably my Star Trek or something. Uh, but I definitely understand that. Um, yeah, I mean, so I I'm sort of interested in, like, Star Trek is. I feel like it it sort of presents almost a utopian future. Um, do, I, do you agree with that, or do you, is that too simplistic a view? Or yeah, I think it's pretty. Um, at the at the very least, like a very optimistic kind of ideal future society, like the way that the right. humans that the human society that exists in Star Trek is. If it's not utopian, it's kind of as close as <laughs> right. you could imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's like Bernie Sanders has been elected president, um, <laughs> right. or something. Right. Um, but so, well, so I'm I'm sort of interested in that because, like, I feel like you, like, there's a story in From Now On. Um, what is it? The the Beast of K Seven, I think. Um, yeah, the Beast of K Seven that is. Like that almost feels like it's like you're doing like a Star Trek side story or something. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like a lot of times, it's much. A lot of times, you take what I would consider a Star Trek storyline, maybe, but make it much darker <laughs> and like right. um, much, much, much more like questioning like these existential questions, which we sort of got into with the time travel stuff. Um, I, so yeah, I don't even know if there's a question there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean the the piece of K seven story probably also stands out just for being the the lightest of anything that's in the collection. And I think when I made it, I was kind of thinking of it as like an all ages story. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, weirdly. I feel like I'm generally, my disposition is kind of optimistic, um, which doesn't necessarily show through in a lot of the work that's in from now on. Um, and that, and that part of Star Trek that is definitely, um, something that really appeals to me. Um, and there probably will be work in the future that has a, a tone that's more similar to that where there's it's not such a downer. there are, there are like moral role models yeah yeah um no, no I, I mean i think it, i think it's interesting because i think your work actually does sort of play with this optimism of like exploring new worlds and a, and and trying for an achievement that's very you know very grand but you know sort of undercutting it with with the the protagonists or antagonists, um, you know, own hubris or, or, or like lofty, I don't know, sort of ego. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes even when they don't have like, like the, the scientists in the, top five and and um the other kind of stories connected to that one unlike say the guy in utu or some of the other stories um i mean they're just going back in time to study the past like it's not like they're it's not like they have bad goals or anything like that or they or they have um naive goals or anything but um but you know, it just goes wrong. Um, and then once they're there, uh, just the interpersonal relationships kind of disintegrate, um, which is, yeah, it's kind of the subtext for all those stories. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I'm drawn to that. There, <laughs> I guess there's. No, it's it's like. Um, you know, the, the stakes in these situations where, you know, you need, you need cooperation, you need humility and sacrifice there. A lot of times you have characters who, who can't make that leap, which I, you know, feels very human and, and realistic. And, uh, you know, I, it, 
it's interesting to see in that in that setting because sometimes I feel like you'll you'll read a science fiction story where you have a character who's almost just like unbelievably uh, benevolent, and mm-hmm. you can't, mm-hmm. you can't sort of identify with it almost. Um, yeah. So I sort of like the the mix of, of realistic characters um, m- mixed with these sort of like exceptional cir- circumstances, I guess. Yeah, and I think. It, it, Maybe that's part of it too. Is that he, because this is uh, from now on kind of collects all the early work. There is, I, I feel like there is kind of a sense of trying to earn that happy ending a little bit. Yeah. Like in my mind, and in maybe some future version of this story that I would tell, all these characters from that from that top five world. Like, in my mind, they have kind of a happy end. Like, they're able, even though they're kind of all old at the end of it, um, or they they age over the course of their stories, um, like, at some point, they figure out that it's better for them to, to kind of come together. Um, and so, yeah, I wonder if that's sort of the, the deal with those early, my early stories in general, is that they're it's the it's the working through part of the growing yeah but we'll see what i end up doing well, <laughs> i'm saying that as i'm working on one i as i'm working on one that has just like a really dark ending <laughs> well i mean so that's i mean it might not be the next one <laughs> well not every story can have a happy ending I, 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 and i like that about your work is one one thing i actually really love about your work is that you know, some of your stories do have a happy ending and some of them have a, a very dark ending and you're never really going into a given story. You're, you're never really sure as a reader where it's going. And I really appreciate that. Um, and so I'm going to build off that going into the story you're doing in the Island anthology that Brandon Graham and uh, I think Emma Rios are putting out through image. Mm-hmm. You're, you're doing it with Matt Sheehan called ancestor. Like I have, I have almost no idea where that story is going. It seems like it could be like your darkest story ever, Um, (laughs) but it it seems like there might be a chance um, for something better than darkest ever. But I I think that story is really interesting because it, it's sort of, it's about a a sort of like Silicon Valley tech guru type figure. I don't know if that's fair to say. Like I I picture like a Steve jobs or um, Mark Zuckerberg or something um, who's, I don't want to give too much away, but who's, who's called a bunch of people to his like compound. Um, and he's, he's, there's sort of this idea of time travel and evolution and what he wants to do. Um, but he wants to do it quicker and and like a, almost like a very Silicon Valley sort of like, like he wants to make the app for it essentially almost like that's selling (laughs) short, but, um, but I, I thought it was an interesting sort of confluence of your ideas of like, of evolution that runs through a lot of your stuff. And, um, and this almost like idea of like this leap forward in time, but using technology to get there much quicker. That's not time travel. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's great. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks. And the, the, just as far as like structure of the story, that is one that Matt and I are excited about because it, we wanted, it's serialized. And it's kind of the first thing that we've done. That's, serialized on this scale that like where people are really reading it. Um, <clears throat> and then it's coming out sort of regularly. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to, yeah, we, part of the fun of serialization, I think is building in these, these turns in the story. Yeah. Where, where, yeah, hopefully people are, don't really know what's going to happen. Um, what did I, did I send you part? the third part of it to read? Yeah. yeah, I I read the third part, which I think, um, I'm not sure when this podcast will come out, but that's coming out, uh, May 11th. So pretty, pretty soon to when this podcast comes out. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the second part has, as one of the darker scenes I've ever seen in comic or not ever, but like probably in the past few years, one of the darker scenes I've seen in comics that was just really disturbing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the, Ancestor has definitely been uh, a story where a lot of each each chapter feels very different to me from the other. Yeah. Um, and part of that, I think, is because it's uh, there's a lot of Matt and I's interests kind of 
colliding in it. And that, that second chapter is, is in pretty directly inspired by, um, uh, this Anabaptist rebellion that had very like cult like qualities to it that happened in the, I think in the 15th century. Um, where, yeah, where basically this guy, uh, kind of took over Munster, I think. Um, like basically a whole town, um, in Germany. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it, he, you know, the power got to him and he, he just it started getting weirder and weirder. And he, he started asking for more and more kind of strange things that the, I mean, the Anabapt- Anabaptists were already kind of considered, um, extreme, but yep. they were like this even more extreme branch of it. And, um, it really is like a precursor to like modern kind of cult stuff, which is part of the things that part of the reason it was interesting to me, but there is kind of, um, he, he at, at one point kind of gathers everybody up and separates what he thinks the believers from the non-believers are, um, in a pretty, you know, terrifying way. So that was, (laughs) that was the inspiration for that. Yeah. That second chapter. It was, it was, and, and I, I, I mean, I think the interesting part about it is it made me think of that because I'm reading like a, a biography of Joan of Arc right now. So it made me think of, mm. of that era, but it also made me, it made me sort of like, there's this sort of like cult that you have to be a part of if you work at Google or something. Like you have to, mm-hmm. you have to buy into this idea of like, um, what do they call it when like the computers are going to take over and like, that'll, that'll make everything better. They have a word for that. Uh, uh singularity, the singularity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you have to, yeah. It, it, so if you're in Silicon Valley, I feel like you have to sort of buy into that cult of, of yes, technology is going to improve everything. And it's, it's better that we have Google driving the cars instead of people. It's, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. And one of the inspirations for, um, for the antagonist in, in ancestor is definitely uh, Ray Kurzweil, who's who's kind of the uh, he's a, he's like a futurist guy and an inventor, um, and is has kind of the spearheaded that idea of the singularity. Um, yeah, which I I mean I think most people now including myself, I don't think it's a controversial opinion, but a lot of people are kind of pretty critical of that. Um, right. Well, yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's sort of and like, well, he doesn't go into like full, he doesn't go into like cult kind of territory. Um, it has, it has that feeling to it. Definitely. Um, and then, I mean, other, I mean like, as well as like the Silicon Valley stuff, there's also like Jack Parsons as a inspiration, who is one of the, JPL founders, um, right, yeah. but was also like, you know, doing seances and, um, you know, into like Aleister Crowley and stuff like that. Yeah. I, um, I, somebody was telling me about a book. He's, he was like a disciple of Aleister Crowley. Like somebody was telling me a book about that recently. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, mean, I think, I don't know that Crowley was necessarily like on board i don't think they had like a very direct relationship or anything like that but yeah yeah he was he was into his stuff for sure jack parsons is he a west coast guy yeah it's all i mean yeah it's that's part of the interest also is is all kind of where i live right now like pasadena and stuff like that yeah i mean i i mean not to not to besmirch the west coast or anything but i do feel like there's sort of like the end of the world cults like a lot of times originate on the West coast. Like it's like oh, yeah. the American expansion got to the West and like, they're like, there's no more land. So we are clearly at the end of the world. <laughs> so <laughs> We're going to yeah. ascend to the stars. Yeah. It's kind of incredible how long the history is of like, uh, esoteric, like spirituality and stuff like that on, the West coast. Um, 
we're probably getting... like, I guess maybe before I started reading more about it, I just kind of assumed that I mean, maybe it goes back to like the fifties or forties or something like that, but it's like yeah, from the very that... beginning, basically. <laughs> I think it does. We're probably going to get yeah. Robin so much hate mail. Cause he's like, Hey, Vancouver, sorry. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, where was it? So, well, I, I also want to ask, so so Matt Sheehan is a, a, a frequent collaborator of yours. You guys did, um, I think the first project I'm aware of you doing with him is Expansion. Um, mm-hmm. And Ancestors, the, the current series that we're talking about now, he's a he's a co-writer and I think he's also involved in the art at some stage. Could, could you guys, could you talk about your work process with, with him and how that works? Yeah, it's um, it's it's pretty interwoven to the, the whole way through. Um, yeah, so we we write it together and we we thumbnail the story out together, which is kind of part of our writing process. Um, and then Matt does the pencils based on those thumbnails, and then um, I do the inks. And right now, I've been doing most of the coloring, but that kind of like sometimes, like earlier, like the first chapter of Ancestor, Matt did a lot of the coloring. So it just kind of depends on our schedule, really, for who does the coloring. Um, so, yeah, it's it's pretty integrated for the stuff that we work or it's become very integrated for us. Has that has that process developed? Like, has it changed? Has it changed? Because I think the first time we talked for that zine, like four or five years ago, it was like, you had been working on expansion together and, and it was maybe more of a new process back then. Um, and I think you were doing a little more of the art at that point or, or am I wrong about uh, for that? Right. For that one, Matt, well, yeah, Matt was doing more of the art. Okay. I guess. Sorry. That's a long time. I, yeah, yeah. I'm just it, curious. It, like, has even that... during, because expansion kind of took us a while to do. Yeah. So it evolved pretty drastically over the course of that also. I did more of the writing. I think for expansion, it started out where I was, I was writing just like kind of prose with like no indication of like page breaks or panels or anything like that. And then Matt would just send me pencils based on that. Um, Okay. But yeah, so it's kind of continually changing. Yeah, but expansion was the very first thing. Like we did, I think we did one page just for fun of something to like, what would it look like if you penciled and I inked it? Um, and then the next page that we did was the first page of Ancestor, <laughs> so, uh, which is part of the reason why the style changes like really drastically over the course of, especially the first part of Ancestor. Really? Um, or, sorry, sorry. Uh, expansion. Expansion. Oh, okay. I'm saying the wrong thing. That's okay. Um, <laughs> expansion. Yeah. I don't have it. I don't have an expansion in front of me. I'd have to go back and look at it. But I don't. I don't think it was too drastic. But I, I think that's interesting because, um, you know, obviously there's a very you know distinct like almost like assembly line history in superhero comics, but I think in more independent comics, you don't see. And even in independent comics, image stuff, you have you have a writer artist tandem, but you very rarely see people who will like sort of meld the t- the tasks of like co writing, but also co arting, like doing, right. doing the art together. So I, I I sort of feel like you guys might be the only team I know of who who works in that way, and I I find that really really cool because I mean I mean and expansion is great um, as as I think your first combined work and ancestor is is really great so it's it's really interesting to see that develop um yeah um i think part of the i i think it's really hard to work like that normally um but matt and i kind of started trying out comics together so i think that's kind of part of the reason why it it works is because we, we sort of evolved together, uh, the whole way through. Yeah. Um, cause otherwise, yeah, when, when you're collaborating with someone, it, it, I think it can often make more sense to make the roles really just clear <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. at the beginning. Um, 
But yeah, I guess Matt and I have known each other long enough and well enough that it's easier for us to step on each other's toes without it being a problem. So it hasn't destroyed your friendship? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yet? Yeah, not yet. <laughs> well, hope, I hope it, hopefully it never does. Um, yeah, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> so, so do you guys, um, do you have an, a next project um, planned uh, either, or, well, jointly, do you have a next project planned? Because I guess you must be pretty close to finishing up Ancestor, I'm guessing. Yeah, we're working on the last part of Ancestor, um, uh, which is really exciting. The Ancestor definitely feels like this big step forward for us. Oh, it's, um, it's truly, I mean, for anyone listening, you pick up Island to check out Ancestor. It's, it's really great. Is it going to be, do you think it's going to be collected as a discrete story um, at some point? Yeah. Um, oh, that's exciting. In fact, yeah, I think I, October 19th is when the book comes out. Oh, cool. So is that going to yeah. be image? Yeah, that'll be image. Awesome. Yeah. That, that's a great book. Well, People should either read that in Island or or wait for the collection. But why would you wait? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, it was designed to be read serialized. So I think that's kind of the fun and potentially more painful way to read it uh, with some breaks in between the chapters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're uh, we've got we've got sort of a long list of potential things for us to work on. There are two that we're writing for for other people to draw. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Um, one is is the most Star Trek kind of thing that <laughs> we've done so far. Is is um, Matt also a Star Trek fan as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and then another one is uh, like a, a fantasy story. Um, Cool. Which, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm excited about both of those. Um, they're still pretty early on in the process, and then there there are kind of there are, there are two or three potential stories that Matt and I will write and draw together. Um, we're just trying to figure it out. Matt, right now, right after Ancestor finishes, Matt's going to start in earnest on a story called Utopia Planitia that he's doing with Simon Roy. Oh wow! Oh, I love Simon Roy's art. Yeah, um, and the the bits and pieces that I've seen of it are, are it's going to be incredible. That's, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, so um, are you? So you are you going to like TCAF and stuff? Are you touring for um, from now on? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm hitting a couple places in California, um, and then I'll be at line work. In oh, Portland. Oh, I'll be at Wine Work too. We should say hi. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I think it, it, it's mostly stuff later in the year after that. Okay. Um, so probably like Cab and SPX and uh, shows like that. For whatever reason, it always breaks up that the beginning of the year is West Coast for me and the end of the year is more east coast for the shows but i think that's how it's going to end up this year too yeah that makes sense no um well very cool um well people should head out to line work or later in the year spx or cab to pick up uh from now on do you sell do you sell issues of island when you table and stuff yeah i'll have i'll have our issues of island there yeah well Island, and i think you did you both do the cover for island seven which comes out i think like it's like next week, like May 11th, like that's your cover or like you and Matt together. Yeah. Me and Matt. I, hopefully it comes out the 11th. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> oh, see. It might be that? like the 18th. It oh, might okay. be a, a week well, coming, later. Yeah. Coming in May. Yeah. <laughs> at some point. <laughs> um, but you know, that cover looks great and uh, that'll have the third part of the ancestor story, which is really, I, yeah, I think one of, one of the strongest stories you've done, if, if not the strongest and it's, it's really great. Um, I can't wait to see. And part four will be in Island Nine, I think. Right? Yeah, Island Number Nine. That's the one we're working on right now, and it's um, uh, yeah, we're like so excited about it. And it's like the best pages we've ever done, or in this fourth chapter. So we're really 
just want it to be out. <laughs> yeah. Well, have, having yeah. read having read the third part, I I I literally have no concept of where the story is going in a really good way. I um I think the first three parts have all been distinctly great on their own and like have formed a really great whole. And uh, yeah, I, I think the the fourth part has I I have some theories about where it might go, but I, I really I'm prepared to just throw all those out. Uh, okay, yeah, uh, we'll talk about your theories after because uh, I'm definitely curious to see what people think is going to happen. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, um, so yeah, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Um, so thank you, Malachi, for for talking on Ink Studs, and thank you, Robin, for letting me take over your website. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Robin. <laughs> and uh, check out Malachi Ward's. Uh, from now on collection from alternative comics and also the story ancestor in the island and um island anthology uh put out by brandon graham and emma rios from image um and thanks for listening all right bye